Welcome, everyone, to another week with your host, Mordechai Weinberger and Harv Nissen. It is an honor and a pleasure to be here with you this wonderful evening. I'd like to just start with a little excerpt I'm going to be reading that they had in the Ted newspaper that was translated, or I should say transcribed, by Ramesha Sheikhet from Rabelsky. And it's a saying that he calls, believe in every Talmud, but I'd like us to be able to change this to a parent, believe in every child, for a friend, believe in every friend, to a grandparent, to believe in every grandchild. And I'm just going to read two, uh, two small paragraphs. The following is a portion of a message delivered by Rav Belsky Zatzal at the Yeshiva Tarvadas Shabbos of Chinuch and Chizuk. A Rebbe is not to only love every Talmud, even the difficult ones, but also to believe in every Talmud. Even if the Talmud does not believe in himself, when he sees you believing in him, that will give him a healthy self-esteem to begin believing in himself. A Rebbe has to see the potential kachas and kashroinus in the child. Even if the student resists your effort, don't give up on anyone. A Rebbe who is cynical and comes down on a Talmud does not belong teaching. Talmidim who are not matzliach may be suffering because of the past. A parent, a Rebbe, or a friend was too cynical toward him and told him that he won't amount to anything. A not realize that he has inner abilities. As a Rebbe, you can bread out it, out of him. And your efforts never go to waste. Years later, you may be surprised to see him grow into a Talmud Chacham. If you believe in your Talmidim, they will see themselves in a different light. A Rebbe must never be angry at a student. Outwardly, he can show that he's upset with him, but never in his inner heart. You must not be jealous of a Talmud. In fact, the Talmud is supposed to steig more than the Rebbe. And this is just something that I'd like us to remember as a parent. It's our job to love every child, to believe in every child. And children are not supposed to see their kaychas. Me and you, we are blind to ourselves. It's one of the kaychas that the Rabbi Yishlam has created in Teva. We don't see ourselves, but we could see someone else. What we see in ourselves is many times blind or through a filter, but others that are out there, that have a positive view, can see strengths within us that we don't see. And as a Rebbe and as a parent, if we can believe in our children, even when they don't, if we can see their talent, even when they don't, if we can give them that chizuk, even when they don't, we can be surprised years later to see them succeed, and then we go, wow, look how special this person, this child has grown out to be. I don't even, I didn't even see that. I can't believe it. And the next thing you know, when you speak to that child, you speak to that Talmud, they go, what are you talking about? You are the one that believed in us. You're the one that stood by our side. You are the one that was there for us. I can tell you that I was supposed to be a Talmud of Rabbi Yisrael Belsky for over two years. I learned in the Smicha Shir by Rav Pam, or two and a half years by Rav Pam Zatzal. And at the same time, we had to take, Rav Pam would teach the Halacha, and Rav Belsky would be teaching the Chulin Shir and the different, the Gemaras around it. So you would go in the morning to Rav Belsky's Shir, and then in the, in the afternoon, twice a week, you would be in Rav Pam's Smicha Shir, in the Halacha Shir. And it's unbelievable, this chos, the respect that each one had for the other, how they worked together. And this is a true belief from Rav Belsky, the way he spoke to everyone, accepted everyone, took everyone in. There was always a line of people, and the information that he knew, entire and in every level, we once went to see them shechtadir, and how he was able to take it apart, and dissect it, and explain to us every part. And it was just amazing on every level. If it was a halacha shaila, if it was a science shaila, and how it was intertwined in halacha, and when the shaila came up, 
on every level, but there's one point that I would like to mention, and that is this letter, when I saw this transcribed, that is something Arabovsky had. He believed in every Talmud. He believed in every person, and even people would come to him many times. There were a lot of Russian mishpachas that weren't from, but they would come to him. He had an understanding and a caring for everyone. And that's something that you see by the Gedolim, the belief that they have in everyone, looking at every year equal. And I've recently had a client that was in a lot of pain about some some leaders and things like that. And I would tell them, let's just look at the Gedolim. When we start mentioning names, you mentioned Rabbi Sorobelsky Zatzal, that everyone that stands in his presence feels great, feels like there's potential in them. That is a koyach, and that is something that our Gedolim have. So if we can, just for a moment to take it within ourselves, connect to our G'daylam, whoever it should be, but realize one of the common denominators that a G'dal has is that when you're in their presence, A, you can feel their, their greatness, but B, you feel their greatness belief in you. And now with that, we can go ahead to the, to the program, and we're going to go to take our first caller, Mrs. B, there with Mordechai and Harav Nissim. Yeah, hi. Yes, Hello. hello. I, okay. Yeah. Um, thanks first, thanks for your program. I just learned about it recently, and I find it fascinating. Um, and I Thank hope you. you can help me. And this question that I have is about my mother-in-law. Now, of course, everybody loves to talk about their mothers-in-law, but that's really not the case here. I really like her, and I she's a very special person, and I feel blessed being your daughter-in-law. It's just that... Um, in some ways in my life, I feel like she affects me. So I, this is my question. Um, in many ways um, and many times, my husband's decision-making decision is made in an effort to protect his mother from severe anxiety. She has a debilitating anxiety condition, I believe, and we all believe that. And how do I know if, his, if this is like an acceptable um, acceptable or is it let's, take, let's, let's rephrase travel. your question. Let's already start the question differently. All right? Okay. That's a great question. I feel this question, we're going to give it some ear time because it's an important question. But I'd just like to rephrase the question. The question is not about your mother-in-law. The question is about your husband. Okay. Notice how we're going to shift responsibility to those that are within our power. So the question would go as follows. My husband has a mother that has anxiety, and my husband, notice the focus how I'm emphasizing husband, and my husband is trying to protect her from her anxiety, and my husband is trying to be her therapist. And the question is going to be, what do I do with my husband? So can you now rephrase the question and, and maybe actually uh, clarify, why would, we, why would I shift the focus from your mother-in-law to your husband? Um, because I guess I have Kayak on him, and because his actions are affecting me. Exactly. Exactly. Great. So now go ahead and let's rephrase your question now. Let's... So my question is that my husband's decisions are based on protecting his mother. Yeah. And how let's... do I know if it's how do you deal with it? or it's unhealthy? Excellent. Now, so he's going to be home tonight, Merit Shem. He'll be home very soon, and you go ahead and you bring it up with him. You discuss it openly. Husband Tyra, it's a pleasure being married to you. It's wonderful being married to you. Everyone comes with a baggage. You come with baggage. I come with baggage. 
and we're tri-focusing on our stuff. So our marriage is being affected by you trying to protect your mother. And what might even be happening is I start resenting your mother when she isn't the issue. The issue is that I don't feel you're here with us when we need you or when I need you or I need more of you and you're busy giving that extra to your mother that I really feel I need. Okay, now let me explain to you that my husband is really not a person with any anxieties. He technically or usually doesn't do that, but recently, in the recent past, she has gotten seriously sick and a big part of it was due to her problem of anxiety, and now we're all, like, dancing around her. No, 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 notice, notice. I just did a role-play with you. I just did a role-play. You're going back to her, not to you. Okay. When you have a conversation with your husband, I feel you being so busy with your mother's affecting me, our marriage. Okay, so we have discussed this, and And he feels that this is his Australian, and really, fundamentally... No, okay. no, no, stop, we don't stop have justifying any... it. You're justifying. Let's, let's play out the role play. And you'll okay. tell this might be your Nisayan, but I feel it's affecting our marriage. Maybe we speak to a Rav that will tell us, is this called a Nisayan or is this called you falling into a certain trap? So you're asking me the question, and I cannot answer the question for him, right? Well, what do you think he'll do? You guys are married long enough. Come on, you know what he'll do. I'm answer. married in a while. Um... Yeah. What he'll do, yeah. he under, he totally is, he's totally aware of it, and he totally agrees with me when it, this usually happens. But then again, he he just keeps on falling back on it. That's right. So um, now your question has nothing to do with your mother-in-law. Now your question is changing even more. What do I do when I discuss something with my husband? He knows something is wrong. There's an issue with my mother-in-law. He keeps on falling into the trap. And we discuss it, and he keeps on falling right back into it. What do I do? And the answer that I always tell everyone is, once something like this happens, is now you're the one that should be going to therapy. And I don't like to use the, use the word therapy, but this we have over and over. You need someone to guide you how there are certain responsibilities that your husband has that will fall on you because he's not able to do it, or certain needs that you'll have that you'll now tell him, I'm disappointed because I didn't have you at that time. So certain things, certain responsibilities you're going to take up to help him out because if he's doing certain things with his mother now, he's not spending the time that he usually does. It's going to have an effect. And if you don't pick up those pieces, it will affect him. Right. So my question is, be allowed to do it if it's going to affect her. Oh, no, no, no. You, you missed the question. No, no, no. You see, you, go, you, you want me to fall into your trap. Let's okay. understand this. Let's be very blunt. You're powerless. Your husband isn't listening to you. Your husband is busy with his mother regardless of what you're saying, and you're resenting it, and you're not strong enough to deal with it. What do you mean that you're going to tell him to do things that she's going to get affected? He's not listening to you. Face reality. No, he is listening to me. He's no, he's not. He's saying, yes, you're, you're, so right. you're so right, but what could I do? My mother's in pain. Okay, I can't get her to therapy, and he is really, he can cut the cord. It's just that. No, he can. No, he can't. He's not cutting the cord. Wake up. He's not. His mother's in pain. Rabbi his mother's in pain. He's not cutting the cord. He's not. Okay. I mean, no. I hear you. 
I do That's hear you. Right. I'm care. talking about reality. I'm not talking what? about what he's saying, what you would like, what should be his mother's in pain. Now, it's right for a kid to be there to help a mother. Right. But there's so got to be a balance. If right. the wife's it presenting it, you've got to work it out. And you're not able to work it out because you're saying, yes, 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 but, and your needs aren't met. So this is classic, classic, classic. This is nothing that is not classic. And that's usually why I tell people is what needs to happen is the one that is the one feeling hurt is the one that needs to get guidance. So since you're the one being hurt, you need to go to an outsider. That's someone that's not a brother-in-law, sister-in-law, cousin, mother, father, brother, or sister. And we'll be able to start guiding you that has a little experience with the codependent trap, because this, is no this, this isn't a new chiddush. This is something that's very, very common out there, especially when we're hearing it right and left from all the people that are the baby boomers. They, they feel like the sandwich generation. They have now their parents in their 80s and 90s living in their house or needing to take care or with hospitals or nursing homes and running there. They've got their spouses, their own children. They still might have a younger child or the youngest child still in the house. They've got married kids in their house. They might have grandchildren coming on. They find themselves being torn all over. And while they know what has to get done, they're not able to do it. And we call that codependence. That's the famous word. Okay. Are you sending me for help, right? What? Are you sending me for help? I don't know. Who's the one that has the question? What's that? Oh, I have a question. Who's the one that has a question? Because he's comfortable in his position, right? That's right. And you're the one that's not. Your your mother-in-law is comfortable in the position. Your husband's comfortable in the position. You're the one that's not. Uh Okay. Fine. Wait, why? So, why are we sending you? What do you think will happen when you go when you get a little advice? I really can't figure it out. Go ahead. <laughs> so then don't just say, okay, question me. It's important because it's going on all over. That's why I'm bringing it up. Okay. Why? So. What do you think will change? Why should we ask you to get advice and to get guidance if it has nothing to do with you? It has to do with your husband's connection with his mother. I really don't have the answer. Let me ask you, uh, ju- let me jump on a little bit. Thank uh, you. I, I, are you. Are you have a mom? Do you have, what? Do you have a mother? I do. Yeah. And what is your feeling if your mother starts asking you to do things for her? If she's sick or she needs your help, what do you think your husband will, will say? Um... What my husband would say, he'd be totally for it, if that's what's required at that time. Uh, so, uh, I'm sure he'd stand behind me. Okay, so why you don't stand behind your husband? Well, I do. Well, in some cases, the decisions that are being made to protect his mother affects you beca- the dynamics of the house. Let me ask you something. You're, you're a therapist? I am not. <laughs> uh, so I, I, you know, I, I understand that you have a lot of tension between you and your and your mother-in-law. I really don't. That's the, that's the truth. I, I like her no, to pieces. Yeah, I really she's, do. She's just it's saying just that there's a lot of that. that the mother-in-law has anxiety, that there's and, just and the husband is jumping in the safer at the price of the house. And I, hello. Yeah. Yeah. Would you like to hear an example? Of what? Because this of her anxieties. Is that what we want? You want to hear? No, we know she has anxiety. We know your husband is saving her. But we want you to realize if he's not going to change, your mother-in-law is not changing, why should you change? How will that help?
what would you say? How are things going to help? Hello? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I think oh, you, as in a certain way, it seems like you lock yourself in a position or you climb up to the high uh, tree that you cannot go down right now. Because I, uh, it's not such a situation that he cannot help you, uh, your husband. Your, al- your husband needs help right now. And if you learn how to deal with this, it will be much better. And instead to just blame the other people and, blame, you know, just diffuse the depression from your husband, even just from your husband, if you learn to take a care about your, your yourself and about the issue. Mm-hmm. All right. So if Nissan is going on one Mahaluch saying that your husband needs to help out his mother, one system, and what we're also saying is there's a dance going on, right. and your husband can only be going and only helping out if you pitch in and take over a lot of the roles that he's not doing. If you learn how to, in a nice, gentle way, saying, but I can't bend, I can't balance more than right now and therefore certain things will start falling apart that's when the situation changes uh-huh. I see. I see what you're sense? saying so basically I, I just have to take away my emotions and do what's right oh absolutely not your emotions right. are extremely mm-hmm. important absolutely not your emotions are extremely important not taking away your emotions. It's actually learning to express them in a way that you're not just expressing it and moving on. You see, there's a lot you're holding back when you speak to your husband. There's a lot there that you don't share. And mm-hmm. that's what we're talking about. When you will actually be able to speak to a third person and get guidance and realize what are the important points that are bothering you and hurting you, that is when you can actually explain to your husband and go, these things I can't pass up on, or we need to have time for me, or if it's not, you chose your mother now, and therefore other things will have other effects. I don't want to tell you what it is, because we're not threatening husbands. It's just a certain dance that we call the dance, that we're not playing the dance anymore when you get outside guidance. You don't realize how you're also putting gas on the fire. You're okay. focusing on your husband and your mother-in-law and not looking at yourself. Uh-huh. Okay, I, I see what you're something. saying. I and I have an, uh, can, I, can I ask you a real quick question, another one? Is, this, is there a possibility that you have a predisposed, um, you're predisposed to get anxiety? Yes, of course. Just Genetically? Like this predisposed, yeah. I, I believe in it. I just don't Okay, like, is there a possibility just, to have get anxiety without any underlying reason? I don't like that. There are studies that show yes. There are studies that show no. There's definitely a genetic factor to it, but I like looking at it the other way around that there might be predisposed factors to it, but if you live a healthy life and if you are aware that to try to keep your stress or anxiety down, you won't get it. Uh-huh. means well, I, I don't mean, know if your husband's going to get it because your mother will have it. Let, let, let me with, clarify. Um, I don't know. I don't think your husband is going to get anxiety because your mother-in-law has it. But the way he's treating your mother-in-law now when she has anxiety, it's very likely he will have anxiety because he's not dealing with it the right way. Mm-hmm. So if someone has anxiety and you're busy trying to cater and to take away every anxiety scenario they should have, you're actually feeding the anxiety and you're guaranteeing the anxiety to continue. So mm-hmm. unfortunately, okay. it sounds like every step your husband's trying to do is unfortunately keeping the anxiety going and he might even be creating more anxiety. Okay. That makes so sense. So therefore, 
Uh, since I, I just know. want to share something with you and maybe to the listeners um, anxi- about anxiety, because I had a child with, like, with a lot of anxiety. Um, unexplained. It was probably, I thought he was born with it. Um, it ended up, it turned out to be a Lyme disease. Yeah. And once we treated that, it basically like melted out of him. Yeah. I feel like a lot of people, I, it was going on for a long, long time, and really we couldn't put our finger on it. There's just no reason for it. Um, and so it's just that if somebody really has a child that's suffering from it, it's really a route to look at and to check it out because I was not the only one. There is a very good organization. It's called Yes Pixar. Um, They have we connected me to a couple of people with the same issue. And anybody yeah. has the same results. We've discussed this in the past. We've discussed this in the past that there are several oh, yeah. medical conditions that are out there. Now, every time someone has anxiety, do we go checking for Lyme disease? Like, do we do an MRI to see if there's hospital brain tumor? Like, like, this is what comes up many times that therapists have that difficulty with. Lyme disease, like, do we always do a blood test before anyone's got anxiety or stress when you know it? So that means with your mother-in-law, would you say the first thing we should do is first give her, a, a, you know, blood work? Is that what's happening? I'm almost, like, I'm almost convinced. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, ma- the way I just saw such amazing results was, and, and no, I, was I agree you, with you. Like the question is, I agree with you. Never there. No, I'm not disagreeing. The issue that gets brought up is that when do we start treating if we see there's an emotional stress, the kids in school, they're having a difficulty, they're not doing well in class, parents are fighting, um, they're not doing well on tests, they have a friend that's being bullied. Do we say it's a Lyme disease? Do we start doing first blood work? Like, what should be the normal protocol? Do you check for everything? Do we check, you know, when you go to a blood work and then there's like a hundred stuff that you've got to check off? Do we check for Epstein-Barr and for mono? Like, what, do, what, what should be the process? I think there eventually will be a certain procedure to be taken. Lyme disease, we do have, I, uh, we had a story that we were discussing about a month ago or, or two months ago where the client in above the age of 40 or 50 and they had Lyme disease for many years, for about 20, 30 years, and it affected them a tremendous amount and did the medication, and they are separate for someone who has Lyme disease many, many years in their body. They still had issues, and the family still has issues, but Lyme disease was a major factor, and that's when we discussed it on the radio. Like, when do we say it's physical? When do we say it's emotional? Does every emotional problem that comes through my office, should we say first go ahead and have a lobotomist take blood, take, you know, 10 vials of blood just to make sure? It's that, like, and what's would, the process? It would almost be the easier, the quicker it. So you can keep on treating the anxiety, but if the underlying problem is still there, that's not going to go right. away. So, so if I would tell you out of, let's say, several thousand people that I've treated, only two has had Lyme disease, so does that mean now that every person should go ahead and take a blood work? That's the question. That's the question we raised. Does it just I'm sure the number that? is much higher than that. Um, well, um, I would, yes, sir, I would, what do you say? I, first of all, I want to answer that uh, I don't think any man, any male, that married husband that don't like to satisfy his wife. This is no question about it. The question how you approach him, and if you put it like a, in, a, in a condition uh, situation, definitely will re- rebellion and will fight against you. About anxiety, I would say that uh, if, even you know, I know that uh, something I don't know ma- matching, but I know I know a lot of people that get a flu, and already the situation they start becoming thinking about certain your uh, sickness and where you're going to die and uh, any times that you have the body weak 
and ended as a definitely a situation that can create anxiety. And definitely Lyme, Lyme disease, that is, you don't see it and can create it. But uh, as, as uh, Dr. Rabbi Mordechai said, is you cannot uh, control it and start control sending people to MRI and all this kind. I, I don't think that Obamacare will ca- take care about it. <laughs> it's just an awareness. People no, I appreciate it. I actually appreciate it. I'm, I'm saying that your awareness is there, but this is the question that comes in. When do, do you treat every depression, every teenager that's not happy and you know what's happening in the house or, or stuff happening in school? Do we say, do the blood test? Will you have the doctor that will run all those blood work? Just saying this is a question that comes up. When, when people bring up the Lyme disease, we always have one of those stories. That, that is a okay. question that's brought up. I appreciate the awareness, and for those parents that think that things changed by their kid once it was summertime and something like that, that they were around ticks or things like that, or, or, or Lyme disease, go ahead. But, yeah, I, I appreciate the awareness, but that's the question. All right, let's go ahead. Thank you for calling in. The number to call in with your question or comment is 718-683-5858-683-5858. And, Nissen, we go to Mrs. S. Correct, yes. Mrs. S, wrong with Mordechai and Harav Nissim. Hello, is that me? Yes. Yes, it is you. Hello. First, I want to thank you for the program. I absolutely, totally enjoy it. And I find it very amazing when you can pinpoint someone's question with some question and, they, and you show them, you guide them to be aware that the question was something completely different. That fascinates me very much to see how people are not so aware and then you show them what their question really is. I find it amazing. Yeah, that's a comment. And my question is very interesting. I've got this interesting phenomenon. I've got a friend that she loves to be punished, and I'm wondering if it's a normal thing. If it is such a concept that you that you love to concept. Friends. Can you please share an age? Does, is that like a five? I'm, 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 I'm a married woman, twenty in the 20, high twenties. I don't understand what that means. She likes to be punished. Can you I'll explain you. Me? Like if somebody would lock her up, she, she could tell me that she could, she would love to be locked up in a room for 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 a while, and be told she mustn't come out. Or, or, okay, let's or something should be. I, I don't want to take this question much more for various reasons. It's going to go to a whole different area. One thing I will tell you is that the way people are, it's important here. The way people are exposed to feelings. That's the way it can be. It can trap them. Just to give an example, if someone, let's say, was in a house where they're teased, they're called in a house, let's say, where they were punished. Yeah, a lot, yeah, yeah. Sometimes what happens is the brain makes an association whether we like it or not, and then we need it. We need that feeling. I understand, I but I don't. I, I thought so that she feel. I was thinking that she comes from a place where she's been punished, and so it's a safe thing for her, or she feels comfortable with it. But she really wasn't. She came from a very normal no, house not, where she was actually there. younger, and very loud. You, you don't, I have experience. You're touching very dangerous areas I do not want to discuss on air, that there's a lot of okay. experience. And all I'm saying is there's a lot more that you don't know. I'm telling you straight out there is a lot more that you Even don't know. Even if I think that I really do know her, her life. I promise you and I guarantee you, you do not know her means that wow. there's a part of her that was hurt. This is the way cutters work. This is the way people that abuse themselves, that hurt themselves. There's a yeah, part of themselves that they've never shared with anyone or maybe with one or two people that they were in pain or when they're in such pain on the inside, only when they cause themselves pain on the outside did it match the two, but they won't show anyone or tell anyone. There's a lot to this, 
and I don't want to take it further because it can go to a whole different okay, place. Okay, so I'm not going there anymore. I just want to ask you, so I shouldn't be feeding her. Like she can, she, she, I shouldn't tell, tell her that she has to have some shit with her or write 100 lines for tomorrow or, or stand like this or put your hand. I shouldn't do this to her for her because well, she enjoys it. Let's go ahead and ask you something. Let's ask it this way. Does this sound yeah. like something that it would need, let's say, a therapist to heal? I'm I guess so. Question. What? But it doesn't really affect her daily life. She would just like it's enjoyment for her. It's a hobby. She doesn't do it. Let me she ask. Do it on a daily basis. Question again. Notice what I'm asking. You're trying to rationalize and 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 justify. Okay. My question to you: Does this sound like something that a person can use a therapist for? They yes. want pain. They need pain. They yes. feel good when they're being hurt and pained. Yes. Yes. Okay. Are you a therapist? You. Okay. No, no, I'm not. Have, have you tried telling her in the past, but then to get over it, and she's not stopping? She, she is stopping. She, she, she won't do it. She's embarrassed of it. So she'll only here and there tell me now about it. And, and by you telling her to write 100 times an assignment, she stopped. You yeah. gave it to her. She got the film, and she stopped. She never asked it again. Is that what you're saying? She, uh, well, she, she, she did the assignment. She was happy. She had a good feeling. And then she never asked for it again, right? You don't. No, she did not. Well, did again. she ask it again? No, not this, not this thing, particular thing. But she wouldn't, she wouldn't do it. I don't yes. feel you're being honest now. I think now you're trying to justify and rationalize yourself. No, no, no. Let's if try it again. She didn't ask for this particular thing, but she did. She would like another punishment. Stop. You're hurt. I, I want you to realize you're damaging your friend. No, no, what's the question? I don't, I don't understand the question. Let me ask the question. After you've done the pain that she asked for, after you've yes, recommended to yes. play the role of being yes. that person leading and causing her pain, did she finally say, okay, now I'm done, now I'm healthy, I'm done? No. Or does she need you to do more? And does she think about it more? She discusses how she needs more. She, yeah, she's, uh, yeah, she does discuss. Not yet, yeah, not yet, yeah. Tell me yes or no, solid. She, she, I want no, you to realize it wasn't the more a major you're playing her I had game, a little discussion about it, yes. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so the more you're feeding her illness... Yes. The worse it's getting, correct or right. not correct? Yes, yes, yes. So I don't enjoy when you're minimizing something I'm telling you is very No, serious. I didn't realize, I wasn't aware. I didn't, I didn't realize that I actually spoke about it again. I wasn't aware. So the more uh, you're going to be playing that role, there's a part of her that was hurt, that is very hurt within. When people okay. are asking for pain, let me ask something. Why would someone ask for pain? I don't know. I find it weird. Now, I don't know. Stop, don't know. Think. I'm hoping I'm teaching you. Yeah, Why okay. would someone ask for pain? What type of a person would ask for pain? What type of person asks for love and care? I guess someone that's unhealthy asks for pain. That's right. So you're telling me you know her for a fact, and I'm telling you there's a lot of painful stuff going on that you're not aware of. And we need to work on that stuff. And that's what a therapist does. Now, by you trying to work on someone that is looking for pain, by giving in to her pain, is actually feeding the illness and making it worse. Right. Right. So let's recognize you don't know, you might know 98% of this girl's entire life. You might. There's 2% that you don't know. That 2%, by you trying to heal her or give in to her, is actually. No, I. Yeah, I hear you. Yeah. It's not my place. It's not my place at all. That's right. But you're still doing okay. it. No. Okay, so I'm asking, that's why I'm asking you this question. That's right. So I'm trying to explain to you that there are different questions that we get that are beginning questions, easier questions, more. Your question can have a huge amount, and I'm telling you it's, it, it borderlines on some very dangerous, I don't want to use the word dangerous, dangerous sounds more, okay. but a lot of stuff that can be a lot going on. 
Okay. I hear. Yes. Okay, thank you very much. You're very welcome. So I thank you, and I appreciate that you're bringing it up. I want you to be aware it's very complicated, your question. Okay. Okay, thank you. Thank you. We are going to go to Mrs. L. Mrs. Hello? L, you're on the air with Mordechai and Rav Nissen. So I want to thank you and Rav Nissen for your amazing program. And as well, some of the people that call in, they are so clear with their question. I don't think I could do such a good job. Yes, okay. Um, I don't know if it's so much as a question as I want to ask you advice. Um, I've been teaching for many years, and um, the head teachers, they promoted me to as a new job as to guide the teachers and how to do the teaching. So I'm enjoying it, and it's working out well with most of the teachers, but there are a couple of teachers which they have been in this teaching role together with me many years, and they kind of resent it that I'm sort of on top and guiding them, even though I would ask them questions how they feel about doing this with a child, but they just don't like it. So it's not a question, but how could I make them feel comfortable, even though they don't really like the idea that now I am the one that is on top of them when I've always been parallel to them? Okay, so let me share with you two thoughts on the matter, and then I want to hear her Nissen's opinion about this. Step one is there is a famous machloikas, this what has happened in the business consulting world, and that is when you want to take a manager or a team, many companies they have like they bring in an entire team of five or ten managing employees, managing positions, they, as a machloikas, do you promote, do you hire, do you elevate people from within the company? Or, or do you bring in an outside source? The positives and negatives are very clear. You bring in an outside team, the team within will respect them because I don't know your chesroinus, you weren't one of us, now you're one of us, and you think you became our boss. And these are the milers of bringing an outside source. Now, on the other hand, the chesroinus of bringing in outside companies, they don't know the people that well. They don't have years of experience in this company. They didn't work their way up from the beginning to get to the positions where they're at. They don't know all the little nuances, all the, you know, the needs. Like every company has like the employees, they have their likes that they prefer, and you just know what makes the company work. But on the other hand of having this outside company, you also have people coming with fresh ideas that you're able to change the concept, change the energy. And be a leader, they're a team, they're able to deal with if employees don't like them that much. That is the mile of bringing an outside source. The mile of bringing an inside person is they know exactly what's going on. They understand. They work their way up. So when there's a question in any position, they have it. They don't need to be educated. It doesn't take months or sometimes even years for a team to fully know the company. They also understand what's going on within the employees or what certain positions are like. So if someone says it's too hard, they could say, yes, I understand why it's hard. They're able to get people to cover positions. They're able to know which seasons are easier or harder. They have all the experience. But, you know, the but is the people within, the employees, don't always respect them because this was my friend. This is someone that I know they're chassar. Oh, now you're telling me to do this, but when you were an employee, you complained you can't do it. 
Or because you're their friend, you still want to be their friend. And as their manager, there's got to be a little bit of space where, yes, there's a connection and there's a caring, but every manager will tell you somewhere you're going to have to say no. Somewhere you're going to have to tell one of the employees, no, you cannot take off. No, I understand. I guess I understand that you want this, but no, you cannot do that. And that is a, a difficult position for someone when they're elevated from within the company to take that role. So when I was taking recently, I have, it's called a CFI certification where you can supervise social workers. No, I don't, I'm not saying this for people to ask me to supervise. I don't. I only supervise the employees under me, those that, I don't like the word employees, the team that we have under me and working with me. But I was, so we got the training, and one of the trainers was a dean of a college. And she was telling us that at first, when she was promoted from a professor to a dean, which is like the principal, she was sitting with the other professors at lunch, and she said she noticed all of a sudden they're like talking quieter when she comes. All of a sudden, conversation stops. And she was discussing it with other deans, and then they said, yes, this is what happens. Even though you're the same person, you just change positions, this is what happens. And she was saying that she sits, either she has her lunch with other deans or she has it in her office. But she needs to recognize, and she came to recognize that being in a position has its benefits, but will also have its drawbacks that now you're not such an equal, you're a one-up, and there are times you're going to have to say no, and they might talk about you at that lunch table, and therefore it's not your position or your place to be there. So what you're going through is a normal issue that goes on across the world. When someone gets a promotion and the other teammates or employees or friends didn't, it changes your role and they look at you differently. Right. Now, what are you taking from this response? That um, I just have to accept it and carry on and try my best. That's right. Yes. Yes. Or, or maybe if it gets too bad, try and have this position in a, in a different institution, in a different school. That's right. And how about to be comfortable with the fact that you're allowed to have people that are a little disappointed with you, that you're not looking, and to recognize that you're not necessarily going to be their friend? Right. So I'm not very good at that. But that's part of that's what you're learning in the new position. Yes. 